tooling around town in a Soviet motorcycle, crispy and boozy canelet, and wine for breakfast. This week, we're in Bordeaux, France. Traveling the world to bring you delicious dishes, tasty beverages, and interesting experiences. This is the Destination Eat Drink Podcast on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. I'm Brent Peterson. Welcome to Destination Eat Drink, the travel podcast for foodies. This is the place where we explore the world's great cuisine at DestinationEatDrink.com and on the Destination Eat Drink podcast. And this week, we're in Bordeaux with TV host and producer Darlie Newman from the PBS show Travels with Darlie. But first, let me ask a favor. If you enjoy Destination Eat Drink, give us a five-star review on your podcast platform. It's easy to do. I'd certainly appreciate it. And thank you so very much. My guest this week is Darlie Newman, an award-winning travel journalist. Her show, Travels with Darlie, is airing its 10th season on PBS right now. Darlie's been on the show before, talking about her adventures from Strasbourg to Brittany and Michigan to Alabama. And this time, we're talking about one of my favorite places in France, Bordeaux. Darlie tells me about some great pastry, several great pastries, in fact, and an interactive wine museum, plus visiting some of the best wineries in the world. And then caviar and champagne and a trip to the Bordeaux-covered market. Okay, I'm starving, so let's eat. Destination, eat, drink. Darlie Newman, welcome back to Destination, Eat, Drink. It's great to have you back on the podcast. Congratulations on the new season of your series, Travels with Darlie, on PBS. Glad to have you. Yeah, so great to be with you again. And I love that we're together and always interesting places talking about travel and food makes it fun. So I want to talk about this new season because I've watched, I think almost all of, all of the shows and I just, I love the places where you went to, but I got to say, when I saw that Bordeaux was on your list, I was like, oh man, this is one of my favorite places in France. But I feel like Bordeaux sometimes doesn't get the attention that it deserves. So I'm so happy that you're including Bordeaux because people go to France and they're like, well, we got to go to Paris and maybe we have to go to the Riviera and maybe there's a few other places we have to go to. But Bordeaux seems to be further down on the list. Um, Make the case about what makes Bordeaux such a fascinating, interesting and wonderful place to visit. I really like traveling to other destinations in France outside of Paris. I've been doing that over the years and I've actually created, I don't even know how many episodes at this point, but episodes on Brittany, Côte d'Azur, the Northeast part of France, um, the Champagne area, doing history, food, culture, and really trying to capture the essence of some of those smaller places that aren't necessarily on the American traveler's radar And I think it's a great thing to do because it's like any country or place. Every place is so diverse and they all have their hidden gems. And as you know, Brent, we always try to go out with locals. So we get the insider's take on a place. And Bordeaux is one of those places that, wow, it's just not only is it beautiful with great wine. So if you like to drink and eat, you're in in luck if you're (laughs) heading to Bordeaux. 
You're talking my language, darling. <laughs> I know, but it has a really fascinating history. Um, there are stops that are on, um, you know, different trails and routes that have been used for centuries. There's, you know, winemaking that goes back to Gallo-Roman times. There's just a lot of wonderful history and and places where you can get outside too. I mean, I did a bike tour through vineyards in Bordeaux, and then I also did a retro side car tour through the city and walk through the city. And so it was a nice combination of urban and more rural adventures. And again, if you if you love great museums, you can get that mix in the city and then go out into the countryside and see beautiful chateaus and do your wine tasting. So it's it's a really wonderful place and also really easy to explore. I mean, I went around Bordeaux for the actual city of Bordeaux for a few days. Um, and some days I went totally on my own, just hopping on public transportation. And then I took guided tours as well. And so really felt like I discovered the city in a way that a lot of different travelers could enjoy it. I think uh, great points on all of that, Darley. And I'd like to second the motion to take public transport in Bordeaux. They've got an excellent tram system there. We uh, use it all the time when we go to visit Bordeaux. But I wanted to mention one of the ways that you got around, which was so cool, on the uh, motorcycle with the sidecar. I was like, this is the ultimate way to see a city Describe that a little bit. Oh, my gosh. So much fun. One of the coolest things I did probably in Bordeaux, I went out with um, it's a it's called the retro sidecar tour. And they're, they actually run them not only in Bordeaux, but also in Paris. And it's a small, you know, a lot of these tours that I take are small businesses. They're just, you know, individual owners or sometimes they're families. Sometimes it's a group of friends. And this one was, again, small business. Alex was one of the owners that took me out. They take you out in these original um, Soviet M72 motorcycles with these sidecars that a lot of celebrities seem to have a fascination with. And it's a fun tour because you can get into those side streets and areas that you would be able to walk through, but you may not even find if you're traveling to Bordeaux as, as a traveler. And there are locals, you know, that know the area really well. You can kind of customize the tour by saying, oh, I'd really like to, like I said, oh, would would there be a place where we could grab um, a glass of wine you know, later in the day that would be not touristy, a place that the locals go? And Alex took me over to this square. He said that everybody... Um, in Bordeaux after work, it was a very popular meeting place. And we had a glass of wine by our sidecar <laughs> before <laughs> and our tour. So it was a real, and it's just a fun way. People are all staring at you because you're in this sidecar. Um, but we, I really enjoyed it. And I thought it was a fun way to get off the beaten path and see the regular monuments and things that you want to see when you're traveling there, but also get you know, that local's perspective and into those smaller side streets. I can't wait for people to see this episode because you riding around in that sidecar is so cool because it's it, like you said, it's a Soviet motorcycle. So it has this kind of boxy look to it. And retro is a, is a great name for their business, you know, because it is it's a very retro looking thing and it grabs a ton of attention. W one of the places that you went in that uh retro motorcycle sidecar was to the Bordeaux market, which is a beautiful covered market. Talk about your experience there a little bit. I, I love going to local markets when I'm traveling and especially in France, because there's so many different things that you can 
experience. And of course, there's always wonderful local cheese. <laughs> like if there, I don't have met a market in France where there wasn't some kind of cheese being sold. And cheese is one of my favorite things to try when I'm in France traveling. So it's it's another wonderful place where you just have the uh, variety of of sounds and sights and and things to quench your taste buds, uh, but r- really fun things to discover and and purchase. And you know, one of the markets that I visited did have this um, kind of crazy looking food item called gâteau à la broche, which is it looks like I thought it looked like an a large upside down volcanic ice cream cone, perhaps. And, um, they actually would fire this, um, type of this type of dough and turn it into this wild looking pastry. And it's popular in the Pyrenees mountains, but they were serving it. And I saw it and I thought, wow, I just have to try that because it looks so cool. And I ended up buying one and bringing it back. I was on, I did Bordeaux by a river cruise. So I ended up by bringing it back to the ship and having it with a bunch of friends that evening too. That's how you make friends when you bring food items back for people to have (laughs) while they're watching the sunset, right? (laughs) Um, So it added to the experience. And again, but I mean, there were oysters, there's local, um, local cheeses and, and then also really interesting organic products. There are a lot of farms in the Bordeaux area, which is something I didn't really think about before I went there. I knew there was a lot of great wine, but there there are a lot of rural farms as well. And at that market, you can you can try a lot of those products. There were some different sausages that I was able to try, a cheese sausage, of course. And then I was always I was there in the morning and it was surprising because you know, I think of Germany and I think of people having beer in the morning, but there I'm in this cover market and I sat down and had a glass of wine and they were serving seafood in the morning. And I thought, well, that's very healthy. <laughs> so I might as well have some seafood while I'm at this market too, but a fun way to eat your way through an, a, a local market and try some different things. And that's located right off of the an area that's known as the university area. And so it's kind of a hipper area that students go to, and you can find some more inexpensive food options in general in that area if you're looking to have that locals experience on a budget. I hadn't heard of the Ghetto a la Broche until I watched your program, and I looked at this thing, I thought, man, that is right up my alley. But the way you're describing it, like an upside-down volcano is apt but it's also huge. I mean, I'm glad that you took it back for some friends because I'm like, how is she going to devour this whole thing? I mean, it is massive, this uh, gâteau à la broche. It is massive. I mean, I love those. kind. I actually really like those big, funny food items now. And at first I thought they, oh, that's just for, you know, your pictures or social media. But there's usually a backstory to them. And sometimes they're, they're things that people have been making for quite some time. And it's if you if you ask about them and hear the history, you'll appreciate them even more. And so I, I do find it fascinating and think it's a fun thing to to explore. I want to talk about another pastry because one of my all-time favorite pastries in France is the cannelée, and that's from Bordeaux. Um, and you enjoyed some cannelée. Uh, describe what it, exactly a cannelée is for folks who aren't familiar with it. Well, it's a pretty simple. I actually watched a chef create a cannelée. There aren't that many ingredients. It's it's a pretty simple process, but it's it is made with a number of egg yolks and they also put in rum and it came out of the wine industry. They were using 
they were using this to like get out the sediment and the wine and doing it with the egg whites. So they had these yolks left over and they decided this is the legend that I heard. I mean, I have to, you know, I'd have to like, you, you hear these like food legend stories. Right. Right. I'm, yeah. I'm sitting under this gate that's um, dating back to the middle ages in the middle of Bordeaux. It's one of, there's a couple of the um, old city gates that are still left just a few. And there is a place where you can get Canales right, you know, right beside one of these cool looking gates. Um, and this local guide, Orly Shopi, who does food tours of Bordeaux, was guiding me around and telling me this story of the Canales. And I'm I'm trying these different Canales because the place that we went had um, different flavors and basically the outside gets caramelized and it's in, it's in a specific cylindrical type shape. It almost looks like a small bunt cake to me. Um, if you, if you know what those are and the outside gets caramelized, so it's crispy and the inside is often like a little bit, I wouldn't say rubbery, but it's a, it's a different sort of a texture, but it's really tasty and it's not so sweet. It's not the type of pastry that it's super sweet and it's not, you know, it's just, I feel like it's just the right amount, but there is rum in it, which you can usually taste if you're, if you're trying it. And <laughs> yes. when I watched the chef making it, I was like, when are we adding the rum? But this is a, it's yeah, this is a, it gets a, like the sweet crust on the outside and it is this traditional pastry in Bordeaux. I like to try those local pastries when I'm trying the, you know, when I'm traveling, this was, I had a vanilla one with orally. And uh, again, something that came out of you know, came, came has come down through history, came out of the wine industry, which you think about Bordeaux, you think about wine. And this is a, if you're not a wine drinker and you're traveling Bordeaux, to Bordeaux, this is something you definitely have to try this little type of cake. And uh, yeah, it's, it, it has a, a interesting history and it's just a fun, and you'll see them all over Bordeaux. I mean, if you're traveling around and you start to look, you'll see them in a lot of the pastry shops and there are specific Canelais shops there as well. I love the cannelay. I love that little crunch you get when you bite into mm. that uh, crispy caramelized exterior and then you get the flavor of the rum with the cake on the inside. It's so good. But I, I love the story about the um, wine industry using the egg whites as a clarifying agent because you hear that several places. I've been to France several places when they talk about the pastries. They're like, well, they had all these egg yolks left over. And now that I live in Portugal... I hear a very similar story because every town in Portugal seems like it has its own pastry, just like in France. And the story that they commonly tell is, well, they use the egg whites for the uh, monks to starch their collars or the nuns to starch their habits. So they had all these egg yolks left over. And that's how they made, for example, pastel de nada in Lisbon. But there's a million of them all over Portugal. So I love hearing these these kind of legends that you know, for from 500, 600 years ago, no one can really verify them, but it makes for a great story, I think. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. If you, I, I like to know the history of different foods and how things came to be. And I think a lot of travelers are diving into that and people in general, even more now, because food is such an important part of everyone's lives. So when you understand where things came from, why things came to be, it, it's not only makes for fun conversation when you're out with friends, but it's it's it makes you appreciate the food that much more. I want to talk about one more pastry that you sampled in Bordeaux, Darley, called the uh, Dune Blanche. And I haven't had this before, but it looked really delicious. It looked like kind of a mini cream puff sort of. H how would you describe it? 
oh my gosh, it was amazing. I could have eaten like 10 of them. Um, <laughs> and I think I did have a number of them. Um, but it's, it looks like, um, I, I would say, I mean, it looks like some other pastries you would have had. It's filled with a really light cream that just almost melts in your mouth in a velvety sort of way. And there's a place, a shop in Bordeaux. There's many shops that again, make these, but then there's one that's famous for it that we were able to stop on our food tour. And, um, it had like a beach theme and they, all they served was the Dune Blanche. That's all you could get there. So we walked over to that place, of course, and had these wonderful cream filled, tasty treats that were just so light and airy. And it was, you know, it's coming from the Dune Blanche has that white cream filling from a reminiscent of the beaches. So you can look at it and think, oh, I could see popping one of these into my mouth when I'm on, you know, in the beach, on the beach in France. But I mean, they had different flavors. They, you know, mango one day, regular cream on another, and they were fantastic. I would definitely recommend against seeking these out, trying a Canelet when you're in Bordeaux. So if you're not a wine drinker, there are a lot of things that you can have <laughs> when you're traveling throughout Bordeaux, not only the cheese, of course, but also these wonderful pastries. Yeah, I don't I don't want to give people the impression that you were only eating pastry because you ate caviar too. <laughs> so <laughs> you went you went on a caviar tasting and um you know caviar of course is is fish eggs and you know I I loved watching you do the caviar tasting because it seems to me I don't know a lot about caviar. Um but it seems to me that the French do the caviar tastings better than anyone because it's so elevated, you know, it's so elegant. And you're tasting this caviar and I'm just watching it. And between caviar courses, between tasting the different types of caviar, the woman who's leading the uh, tasting is like, okay, now cleanse your palate with <laughs> champagne. <Yeah. laughs> so, well, like caviar and champagne. How how much more decadent could this get? It just looked absolutely marvelous. So it was amazing, I have to say. <laughs> I, that's what, again, I love traveling in France because the food is so darn good. When I was in Brittany, France, I had some of the best butter I've ever tasted um, in Saint-Malo. And here in Bordeaux, I was able to try another wonderful butter because I didn't only get to try caviar, but there is caviar butter. And the woman, Justine, who was helping me learn about caviar, France is one of the largest caviar producers in the world, which, you know, I thought about French caviar, but you, you know, you don't always, it's just not top of top of mind necessarily, but the Dordogne area is where this particular caviar that I was trying, it was caviar du Nouvique. Um, is the shop and it's in right in the heart of Bordeaux. So again, accessible to, to travelers. I liked it because it's sustainable and ethically farmed, um, but also it was really tasty. And I'm not a big caviar eater brand either. I mean, I don't get it all the time, um, but it was so funny because I got there and she's telling me, oh, you can choose from champagne or vodka to cleanse your palate between your caviar tastings. <laughs> and I did, I did try both, but I started with the champagne. That French champagne is good. Um, 
but it was so it was I brought some back to the US. It was really tasty. There's only a certain amount you, you have to bring only a small amount back if you're actually bringing it back. There are regulations on that which I had to google and look up when I was there. Um but salty again melts in your mouth in a certain way, but it was a fun fun little excursion and stop and they have a cafe there too so you can actually just order stuff off a of menu and and try caviar without buying you know a jar or something like that of it and a fun way to dive into one of these specialty products that comes out of France you know you think of caviar in France but also i guess Russia is a big producer of caviar so i guess it makes sense to have vodka with your caviar too <laughs> if you've got that Russia connection i i didn't think of that before but yeah that that makes total sense i know why not right yeah Let's talk about a place in Bordeaux that is actually one of my favorite spots in all of France, which is the uh, Cité du Vin, which is the Wine Museum and Education Center. Just to call it a museum, I think, gives it the short shift. It is an amazing museum, but they also do a lot of educational work there. Um, Describe this place because, like I said, it is one of my favorite places to go in France. I thought it was really unique. Again, it's a multi-level museum. The architecture is pretty phenomenal. It was designed to look like wine swirling in a glass, the actual building. And it's this round shape so that when you're traveling through it, you're supposed to almost be traveling through a wine glass, which when you think about it is pretty, it's a pretty cool architectural statement. Um, and it is a wine, yeah, it is a wine museum. So it's, it's nice. And you can get up high within the museum to do actual wine tasting on the top level. And I don't know if you did that, Brent, but I thought it was cool. Yes. Yeah. They did have wines from all over the world and they changed them and they had some more rare stuff. And I, I, I specifically asked, let me try something that wouldn't, I wouldn't be trying every day while I'm here because it's fun to, to try something kind of off the wall. And I had a, a Peruvian wine as one of the the things that I tried when I was there, one of the types of wines, but I was led through the museum by um, a, someone that worked there, and she was sharing with me that you really are charting the history of winemaking throughout the world, not just France. When you're there, it's one of those museums that's really modern in the way that their exhibitions are very interactive, which I love. I mean, yes, I yes. travel, yeah, I travel to a lot of museums and my favorite museums are the interactive ones. I went to, in Belgium, I went to a museum of sound where you can play instruments. I love city museum in St. Louis because you can climb on things. It's all found, huge found objects, everything from like school buses to slides. It's crazy. And this is another museum where you're going through this history of winemaking and you're able to try smell different scents. There's tactile things to touch. There's fun pop cultural references Um, I thought it was funny that they had an exhibit that was showing how the astronauts drank wine in space and how (laughs) there was a friend's wine at at one point. I never saw that, but (laughs) I think I was too young to be drinking wine at that point. So whatever, (laughs) maybe I just didn't know about it. Um, But yeah, so really fun 
history of wine and it makes you again appreciate wine that much more and i think that if you're going to visit you could visit it any at any point in your journey through bordeaux but it might be a good idea to go there at the beginning of your trip to really get that context of of where you're going and and the further insight into wine before you go out into the um more of the countryside into the wineries and vineyards to, to do your tasting. So uh, another awesome stop, cool museum. If you like going to museums, very accessible uh, and just beautiful to look at as well as, as travel through. I don't know. What did you think of it? I loved it. It's one of my favorite spots, like I said. And what I really liked about it was you mentioned all the interactive stuff. And I think one of the things that sometimes puts people off of wine is that they think it's too stuffy or too unapproachable. And what the City du Vin does is really brings it down to the level where you can get involved with it, whether it's doing the different smelling um, exhibits or uh, learning about uh, having those um, exhibits of the wines from wine regions from all over the world. And I don't know if you went into the one room that I just loved. It was kind of a, um, a reproduction of a dinner party. And they had holograms of people all around the table and you could walk from person to person and kind of eavesdrop in on their conversation about wine or politics or whatever. It was it was fascinating, but it was also fun and educational at the same time. And that's what really uh, brought it home for me as a great place to visit. Fantastic in the way that they did it and so modern and so interesting. And again, I like those museums that are it's that are updated and some museums I'm going into now, I'm like, oh my gosh, they have to do an update or they've got to get some of these more interactive exhibitions because so people are looking for now and it makes it really fun for all ages as well uh, that you can really make it an, an experiential visit. Like you said, Darlie, I think this would be good advice to go to this museum first to kind of get grounded on, um, you know, wine around the world, but specifically wine from Bordeaux before you go out and visit some of the chateaus and some of the vineyards and whatnot. And you did this. You went to um, saint Emilion, which is where some of the most famous vineyards are uh, that produce Bordeaux wine. Talk about going going to uh, Saint Emilion and uh, and visiting the wineries and drinking good wine. Well, there's so many different wineries and vineyards you can visit if you're in Saint Emilion. They were telling me at this um, Beau Sejour Sejour Bico, and I'm not pronouncing that totally right, but it was a really historic um, winery that I was able to to visit. And they have this, it's a first classified growth type wine. And it's all about, there's all these classifications of wine when you're traveling in Bordeaux. And they're, you know, some of them are getting these like specialized seals or symbols. The soil in Saint Emilion is known to be so great because it's this limestone clay soil. And the that particular winery is just outside of Saint Emilion. I mean, it, you could walk from the winery into into Saint Emilion, and um, again, wonderful wine. I actually have some waiting for me right now in New Jersey because we all went in together, my my crew and I, and we bought a case together. Like we split it up and shipped it to my <laughs> photographer's house. So 
<laughs> it has now arrived. Oh, perfect. I know Greg was talking to me yesterday and he said it'll be in the city this week so I can get my wine. And I thought, oh, I need it because the holidays are coming. <laughs> like I need that French, <laughs> that amazing French wine. But oh, here man. were this particular um winery is another wonderful family-owned place. And Saint Emilion is interesting because there's a whole history with Emilion the monk who was hiding out there, um, living in a grotto, a kind of a hermit, but performing these miracles. And he became known in the area and was a draw for people to come and visit Saint Emilion. And this the the village or town itself is just another wonderful, beautiful place to go with multiple levels within the city of uh, places to walk around and explore medieval architecture and stop and have a, a glass of some type of wine at a cafe. But the history there was really interesting and they had these classic vintages. It, the wine was silky and smooth. And I love when you're tasting wine in Bordeaux, because if you talk to some of the different winemakers and the sommeliers, if they're describing the wine, I always ask them to describe the wine. They'll ask me and I'll give my little description, but then I love to hear what they have to say because when they start to describe the wines for you and how the grapes have been aged and what you're supposed, what they're tasting, because everyone tastes something different. It's almost like poetry. <laughs> and the, and some of, some of the descriptions, I, I was surprised. I mean, some of the ways they're describing the wine, I was like, wow, these, this is like not you know, not what I would think about when, when I thought about wine. And that's why um, Cité du Vent is so interesting as well, because they're, they're, they're taking you through this history of winemaking, but also when you're able to smell some of the different things that you could smell in within a wine, I was surprised at things I hadn't thought about. But then when I did smell them like old, an old leather book or an old leather shoe even, which sounds, doesn't sound appealing, but you, you smell those things and then you go and taste the wine and you say, Oh, now I see, you know, now I see that within the wine. So it really does expand your mind if you're into wine and wine tasting to travel through this area. Um, but this, this winery was another one that had this wonderful, wonderful wine and was really a great story as well. I think maybe we should take this, uh, juncture to point out that we're talking about, you know, really some of the best wine in the world. And people might think, well, it's completely out of my range. It's out of my budget. I'll never be able to afford that. And yes, there are bottles that will cost hundreds, hundreds and hundreds of dollars. But that said, when you're in Bordeaux, you can you know, because people are living on everyday budgets and they drink wine with, like you said, for breakfast sometimes. <laughs> there are affordable right. ways to drink really, really good wine when you're in Bordeaux. Just ask folks, you know, what's a, what's a good everyday wine here from Bordeaux? What do you recommend? What's on the menu that, you know, that you like to drink every day? And you can stay within your budget. Oh, no, for sure. There were really inexpensive wines in different places. And it's very regionalized and very specific to the location. Usually in every location that you're traveling, there's a wine from that specific area. I was in uh, this old fort, fort city and trying a wine from like right there in the area. So uh, you, you can get hyper local with it and you don't have to spend a lot. It's if you've been to Italy, it's like Italy in that way where you can get really inexpensive. I said, they say the wine is less expensive than buying a bottle of water. So 
you might as well opt for the Y. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so that choice is easy. Um, before we leave Bordeaux, or at least the region around Bordeaux, you went to Cognac, which is a town. I didn't realize how close it is to Bordeaux because I'd never been to Cognac. Uh, Cognac is where they make the, uh, you know, the liqueur that's twice distilled, aged in oak barrels. Tell me about your experience uh, visiting Cognac because I've never been. I, I thought that was interesting as well. I think it was just an hour and a half from one of the locations where I was in Bordeaux. So we did go inland a bit, but it wasn't far at all. It was definitely feasible for even a part of a day trip. I went to Remy Martin. They're one of the big four producers of cognac. And obviously cognac is a lot like those um, DOC brands and those those specific labelings where, as you said, Brent, it needs to be aged in an oak barrel. That's part of the process. And I just didn't know this, that it's cognac starts out as wine and eventually it's aged in, and it becomes cognac. So I, that was something that was new to me. And Remy Martin's one of the brands that's been around since the 1700s. There's five generations of, the, of a family that have been making this specific cognac. And I thought it was funny because Damien, who was the guide that I had, first of all, he was much like this woman. I was in Champagne, in the Champagne region and, and place in France. And I was able to go to Tatage, which is one of the big champagne producing houses. And I was able to have champagne tasting with one of the family members, Vitale Tachage. So she's part of the Tachage family. And I felt like I was with champagne royalty, but we're <laughs> tasting champagne. And she's, and she's telling me that you can have, she had just come from a lunch where she was having champagne and you can have champagne for breakfast and lunch and dinner. And I was like, wow, she's so good at selling this champagne. And it was the same with Damien at Remy Martin, because he's telling me, you can have cognac all day long. <laughs> as, <laughs> as, long as long as you don't want to be productive, you can have it you know? all day long. <laughs> I was like, can you really? <laughs> like, but so we went into the, we went and toured an area of Remy Martin where again, they, it's a little mini museum. They show you the oak barrels. They show you the process of making cognac. And then you can go into a tasting room and they have different cognacs that you can try straight up or are they making to cocktails? And I did both. Um, it was very, the, the regular straight up cognac, a um, lot of alcohol in there, very strong, um, but also, but also smooth and really, really good and something different. And now that I've been back in the States, I'm noticing more and more people drinking cognac and having cognac cocktails. So I don't know if it's having a mini resurgence or I'm just, it could be that I'm just noticing it more, but I think he told me it was around 40. One of the types that I tried was around 40% alcohol, but that different cognacs are aged. It could be anywhere from like, it could be up to a hundred years or sometimes 40 years that the, that it's aged. So you can get these really, you know, long aged cognac drinks that I said, Oh, so I could like buy a cognac or order an oak barrel for like a friend or family member who has a young child. And then when they're, you know, in their forties, like doing whatever they could be having their cognac for the first time that's been aging their lifetime. So it's kind of funny to think about it in that way, but I thought it was another interesting aspect of, of traveling to that part of France and learning about another type of product that comes out of France that has a his, has quite a history as well. It's a good idea, Darlie. I was talking with uh, Tony Maziagli from Florence and she spends a lot of time 
up in uh, Modena in Italy, and she was telling me about making the vinegars, and she said basically the same thing, the same idea that you had, which is when the child is born, they set aside a little barrel from that year for the child, and it may pay for their education, or it may, in the old days, it might have been a dowry for someone, because once it's Mm -hmm. aged, whatever, 20 years or something, it becomes extraordinarily valuable, and they can, uh, you know, make make some dough off of it if it sits in the attic for long enough. I think it's so fun. I I love the idea. And I mean, I will drink this wine I ordered from Bordeaux when it comes, probably, but I did think about saving. I didn't buy, we didn't buy a super expensive um, batch or bottles, as you, as you said, Brent, you can get a lot of things that are really great for affordable prices. And actually the shipping, I don't think was bad either. Um, and then if you buy enough of anything, sometimes they'll throw in the shipping, like me buying my, um, Turkish carpet (laughs) from Cappadocia. (laughs) Um, we, we bought it, we went in as a group and every, like we had a number of carpets that we bought and when they got shipped to the U S um, our shipping was free. So <laughs> bonus. Yeah. Bonus. Well, um, it's been great talking to you about Bordeaux. I, I want to talk about a bunch of <laughs> Bordeaux, you know, I'm, I kind of have a soft spot for Bordeaux, so I tend to go on and on about Bordeaux, but I want to talk to you about a bunch of the other places that you visited on this latest season of travels with Darley. Would you, uh, do another episode for us and come back next week and, and talk about those places? I would love to. Oh um, gosh, Santa Fe, Turkey, uh, Delaware, surprisingly, a lot of cool food finds in Delaware. And I know I didn't even mention the burrata pop tarts. So anyway, we'll have to talk again. <laughs> okay, there you go. I'm so happy I got to talk to Darley about a place that I really adore, Bordeaux. I know it might be crazy to say Bordeaux is an underrated place. I mean, Everybody knows about the great wines of Bordeaux, but as far as the city itself goes, it's all the great food you get in addition to the wine. It's really quite special. Don't blow off Bordeaux in favor of trekking straight out to wine country. Trust me, you'll love Bordeaux. I was telling Darley off the air about the first time Karen and I went to Bordeaux. In fact, we were severely jet lagged and dragging ass and we stopped by this little wine bar called Vin Urbane's and just had a lovely time that perked us right up. We had some great wine, of course, but also some little toasts with truffle pate. The place wasn't fancy or anything, but that's Bordeaux. It seems everyone is really invested in making the food culture special. Anyway, that's it for this week. If you want to read my full uh foodie travel guide to Bordeaux. You can get that at DestinationEatDrink.com. And Darley will be back next week to talk about more of season 10 of her show and some of the places she liked, like Santa Fe, Turkey A, and much more. And if you want more info about travels with Darley or the places we talked about in this episode, get that in the show notes at RadioMisfits.com slash DED214. And be sure to watch Travels with Darley on PBS. Check your local listings. The new season is out now. And if you enjoy Destination Eat Drink, please consider dropping us a couple bucks to help us fund the project. It's easy to do. Just go to DestinationEatDrink.com and click on the Contribute button. And thank you very much. And while you're there, check out the story I just posted about a Spanish tomato soup but it's not gazpacho. It's called salmorejo. 
and it's delicious. That's at DestinationEatDrink.com slash Sal Marejo. That's S-A-L-M-O-R-E-J-O. Or just go to DestinationEatDrink.com slash blog. Destination Eat Drink is distributed by the Radio Misfits Podcast Network and a guy who's definitely on board with the Cognac for Breakfast program, Ed Silla. Thanks, Ed. I'm Brent Peterson. I'll see you down the road. Join us next week for another culinary adventure on Destination Eat Drink, a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network.